But sometimes, you know, we, we are hoping in things, we are placing our confidence in things that have a short shelf life. Now, and I do the same thing, you know, and, and you do too. Every morning, there are certain things that you expect to happen every time you do them. You wake up in the morning, you expect that whenever you go to your car and you stick the key in the ignition and you turn it, you are always believing that it's going to turn over and you're going to be able to get to work. Uh, whenever you go home and it's cold outside, you expect whenever you turn on the heat in your house that your house is always going to be heated almost like on command. But here's the deal. There is nothing that lasts forever. There is nothing that you can place your hope and your confidence and your trust in forever. Because everything has a shelf life. Now, most people will agree with that, but today in our, in our culture, in our society, we have also extended that out into spiritual things, into, into the Word of God. You know, we, we look at it, and many people will look at the Bible, and they say, this is a good book. It has interesting stories. It teaches good moral lessons but concerning, is this something that I can bank my life on forever, believing that everything in here is true, don't think so. A lot of us will say, a lot of people will say that the Bible, it is an outdated book. And so that, that has also infiltrated many churches as well, where they are more about social activism than they are about what God has to say. And so I really believe that that is a sacred cow that needs to be tipped over. And that is the, this is the sacred cow for many people. And that is that the Bible is a book that is outdated, that doesn't carry relevance for us in the 21st century. I mean, when you look at it, guys, we, we have become a much more progressive, a much smarter people than we've ever been before. At least that's what some people believe. And so then we look at the Bible and we say, how can a book, and specifically in the scripture that we're looking at today, how can a book and this scripture that was written over 2,700 years ago have any truth or validity in my life today? Well, Isaiah is a guy who wrote the book we're looking at today. And as Isaiah points out to us, he shares with us that there are some things that you can bank your life on. Some of them good, some of them not so good. And so that's the question for us today. Is there anything that we can place our hope, our trust, and our confidence in that we know that is going to stand the test of time? So that's why we're looking at Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 6. Uh, just a little background information. Isaiah was a prophet. He was a prophet during some of the most turbulent times in all of Israel's history. Uh, the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, during this time, you just, I mean, you can read through the prophets. Man, they were, they were going their own way. They were living like they wanted to. They were being defiant to God. And so God gave Isaiah a prophetic message. He spoke to Isaiah, and in Isaiah uh, chapter 40, you look in 41 and a few other places, God gave Isaiah the ability to be able to see into the future. So when we call it you know, prophecy, prophesy about the future. And in what, he, what he was able to see is that God let Isaiah know, and this was the message he was to preach to the people. He said, there's going to be a time 
whenever the people from the north, the Babylonian people, are going to come into Israel and they are going to wipe your country out. Now this was a message that God gave Isaiah to preach. Not a fun message. I mean, can you imagine? It's like, it'd be like me saying, God saying, Eric, I want, you to, I want you to go into church every Sunday, and I want you to preach a message of judgment every Sunday for the rest of your life. Now, some of y'all might think I'd do that. I, I don't. But let me tell you, it would be awful. But that was the command that God gave Isaiah. He said, I want you to tell the people, because the people believed that they could trust in themselves, and everything was always going to be the same. And he said, tell the people they're going to be destroyed. Tell the people there's a nation that's going to come in. They're going to destroy the temple. They're going to, they're going to absolutely raise it to the ground. Tell the people they're going to be taken into captivity. They're going to become slaves. Tell the people that I am removing my hand of favor from them. Man, scary message. And so what Isaiah does is Isaiah goes and he does tell the people that. And he shares with the people, basically, he said, listen, in life, there's only a few places where you can place your trust. And so you need to pick where you're going to place your trust. And that is the same thing for us today. There's only a few places in life where we can truly place our hope and our confidence. But we've got to make a choice. So in our text today, I just want to share with you a few places where we can put our trust. Now one, you can place your trust and your hope, you can put all of your marbles in the strength of man. In other words, in life, you can put all of your hopes, all of your dreams on your own shoulders. Now how does that work out for us? Well, I want you to look with me in verse number 6. It says, a voice was saying, cry out. Another said, what should I cry out? And this is the message that should be given to all of us. All humanity is grass, and all its goodness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Indeed, the people are grass. And uh, what in the world does that mean? Well, Israel had placed a lot of their hope and their confidence in their own power, in who they were as a people. So we don't need anybody. We can take care of ourselves. Now, if you read through the Old Testament, you can kind of get a picture, an idea of why they had such confidence in who they were as people. I mean, you go back to whenever they were in Egyptian captivity. Now, whenever they left Egyptian captivity, you remember Moses led them out. From the very beginning, they're walking out, and they come up to a barrier that's before them. It's the Red Sea. And they look behind them, and lo and behold, who's behind them? It's the Egyptian army coming to destroy them. So they are in what you would call a pickle. Now, amazingly, something happened. As they are caught in between a rock and a hard place, okay, y'all, because y'all are Bible scholars here, what happened to the Red Sea? It came, I mean, just, uh, it opened right up. I mean, just, it just split right down the middle, and the Hebrew people are like, well, how neat is this? And so they start running right across the Red Sea. So they're running across on dry land. The Egyptian army starts to follow them. Y'all remember what happened next? The water came crashing down. Destroy the Egyptian army. Okay, now if you're there, you have to look back and think, that was pretty awesome. So they're saved. 
Okay, now they're wandering around in the wilderness. The people start to get hungry. And then they look up into the sky, and stuff starts falling out of heaven. And it's food. It's manna. And so the people were hungry. We look up in the sky. Food falls on the ground. We start eating it. Okay, then they get thirsty in the wilderness. And you might remember as you read through the scripture that Moses grabs a stick. He walks over to a rock. He hits a stick. Water comes gushing out. People are like, not thirsty anymore. Now, from a very human perspective, what can happen, all this stuff is going on around you, and you can start to think, we got this thing covered. I mean, life, we've got life licked. There is not any problem that we can face that we can't overcome. And so what happened is the people, as time began to go on, they began to get arrogant, and they had forgotten that it was God who was doing all this stuff for them. And they began to trust in their own abilities. And as I look at that, I think, you know what? We do the exact same thing today. And we look at how we've been blessed. Y'all, we live in the greatest country in the world. We have more stuff available at our fingertips than ever before. And because of that, it's very easy to think, I can trust in myself. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I don't need anyone. And then I look at Isaiah, and in verse number 6, Isaiah wrote, What should I cry out? And he said, All humanity is grass, and all its goodness is like the flower of the field. What does that mean? It means we're temporary. It means if you place your hope and your confidence in yourself and in your own abilities, it's, it's going to work, but only for time. Because you know why? Because you live, and then you get older, and then you begin to realize that you're not always going to be the young stud buck, and you start to get gray hair, and you start to get sore, and your body hurts, and you begin to decline, and then you know what happens next? You die. Yay! Positive message for today. All right? Now, if you place your hope and your confidence in you, it's a short shelf life because you live and you die. You don't live forever. Whenever you trust in yourself, let me tell you something, I promise you there will be a structural failure that will, incur, that will occur in your life. Now we try to cover these structural failures up in, in very interesting ways. We try to hide the fact that we are aging, that we are getting older, that our bodies betray us, and, and we do surgeries. We, we try to do things that will make us look different. We try to invest in things that make us look current. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with those things, but if that's where your hope is, guys, I don't care how many surgeries you have. Let me tell you something. Time will catch up with you. It always does. And that's what the Bible says. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto man once to die and then to face the judgment. So where, where can we place our, our confidence and our trust? Well, you can place it in the strength of man. That is what Isaiah was sharing with the people. But you can also place it in the ideas of man. You can place your trust and your hope and your confidence in the intellect of of people, the intellect of humanity. And there's no doubt that there's some very smart people in our world. Uh, verses 6 and 7 tells us, A voice was saying, cry out. Another said, what should I cry out? 
all humanity is grass, and all its goodness or its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Indeed, the people are grass. Now, when he says the people are grass, what he's saying is these people are temporary. You know, you have, you have grass in the spring, and you know, after winter, the grass begins to grow. In the summer, if you water it, it, it flourishes, and then winter comes, and it just, everything dies. And that's people. You know, there's a time when you flourish, there's a time when you grow, and then eventually you die. And in verse 6, he, he says, now men are like grass. And then he says, but their, their, their glory or their beauty, it is, like, it is like the flowers of the field. Okay, all humanity's grass and all its goodness is like the flower of the field. Okay, so, so what, is, what is the beauty or what is the goodness of man? You know, men are like grass and their goodness is like a flower. What is the goodness of man? Now, some people say, well, the goodness of man, the thing that makes man interesting is you know, the, the human body is something that is, a, is absolutely incredible. Whenever you look at the physiology of the body, whenever you look at how precise it is, how, you know, how everything just works together, it is a masterpiece. The human body is. So that's something positive I'm telling you. Your body is a masterpiece, okay? God created you. Life itself, it is a miracle. But is that, is, that the, is that what is the goodness of man? Is that the beauty of man? And, and I don't think that it is. I believe that the beauty of man, the goodness of man, is something that separates man, people, from all other creation. That is the mind. It is the intellect of man. You know, people are different than all other creation because we're able to reason. People are different than all other creation because we are able to think. We are able to distinguish what is the difference between right and wrong. People are different than all other creation because we are able to use our minds in order to worship God. We are able to use our mind to improve even life. We know how to solve problems. And so what can happen is because of, of the brilliance of man, people that we can get to a point where we believe that we are smart enough to handle anything that comes our way. That we can handle all of life, and, and yet Scripture tells us that the goodness, the beauty of man, it is like a flower in the field. And what happens to flowers? Well, eventually a flower begins to decay. Eventually a flower will die. So what is the point that Isaiah is making? He's saying if you're going to invest in something, he says make sure that whatever it is that you are going to invest in, whatever it is that you're going to place your hope and your trust in, that it has lasting power. It's because if you trust in man, if you trust in the intellect of man, you need to understand that it is a short-term investment. So choose that which will last for all time. You know, I, I really believe that now I, I'm seeing more people who are committed to investing themselves into physical health than, I, than I've really ever seen before. And I, and I think that in a lot of ways that's a good thing. Um, I'm, a, I'm a member of the Y, and uh, I'm a, at the Y, you will probably be shocked to know, the only thing I do at the Y is I, I'm a treadmill guy. I am not, you know, one of the people that goes over there and lifts weights and all that stuff, which, you know, which is shocking, I know, for y'all. So, but what is interesting is when we're on the treadmill... I can observe a lot of people, and it's fun. There's some guys that 
on the treadmill. There's people I know very well because we run together next to each other all the time, and we'll see somebody new come in. And every once in a while, I guess there's some, some times whenever some guy uh, who goes to the gym, and you know, I'm not saying anything bad, just hang with me here, but I'll see some guy that'll come in, and apparently like CrossFit is closed or something. And you know, I, you can, I can always tell, like James, our, our worship pastor, he does CrossFit. And it's, they look like James, right? And, so, and then everybody else looks like me. And so I'm sitting there, I see this guy coming, I'm like, oh, here comes one of those guys. And he's got like extra, he's got some weights, and, uh, and it's the Y, but he thinks it's CrossFit. And so he's like, he's going around the Y, in, walking in between all the treadmills, you know, doing squats, you know, walking down and all this stuff. And you're like, what is this guy doing? It's like, you know, I'm, I'm looking at him going, he, he's here just to humiliate people like me, because he looks good. And so he's, he's in there doing all that stuff. And, and uh, now, again, I, I, I admire James. James has been doing CrossFit for a long time. And, and so, he, man, he's, he's in great shape. You know, he's done really well. I'm hoping that just simply by, you know, by living vicariously through James, maybe I can become an honorary member and get one of those cool shirts that he will wear oftentimes. Uh, but anyway, here's the deal. This, I'm actually telling this story for a reason. While it's good for us to take care of ourselves physically, to invest in, in taking care of our bodies, I don't care how good a shape you get in. Here's the bottom line. Eventually, time catches up. <laughs> so don't use that as an excuse, well then I ain't never going to the gym. But I'm just telling you, if that's where you place all of your hope, eventually time will take its toll. So if you invest your life specifically or you know, primarily in the physical, it's very short-sighted. And it's very short-sighted because life is temporary. Now, and that's true with the ideas of man, the intellect of man. That is the, you know, that is the beauty, that is the goodness of man, the mind. And, you know, whenever I look at the technological advances that have taken place, you know, in the, I mean, even the last 10, 15 years, y'all, it's mind-blowing. I mean, y'all remember, I remember when I thought American Online was unbelievable. Some of y'all are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, I remember when I, to send an email would take 15 minutes, and I thought, mind-blowing how fast that is. Because otherwise, you have to use snail mail, right? And so I was, and then I look at where we are today, and it's, it's incredible. It's incredible how advanced we are intellectually now. We, we have everything at our fingertips, and, and because of how smart so, so many people are that have advanced us technologically, we can get to a place where we begin to place our hope and our trust in ourselves, thinking we don't need anybody else except for us because we are so smart. But here's the thing. It's temporary. The wisdom of today will be outdated tomorrow. The things that we think are so cutting edge today, tomorrow they are going to be ancient. So it means that when, if you place your trust in the intellect of man, it is ever-changing. It is shifting sand. And so the question for me is, then what do we trust in? Why can't I trust in my, what's wrong with my wisdom? What is wrong with my intellect? What is wrong with, with how, you know, how smart the people around me are? Why is that a bad place to place our hope and our trust? Well, Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So, where are you placing your trust and your hope? And you can place it in... You know, you can place it in the strength of man. You can place it in the intellect of man, the ideas of man. Or this is the last place you can place it. You can place it 
in the words of God. The words of God. Verse number 8. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Isaiah was re-emphasizing to the Jewish captives that God was going to deliver them. Now remember, he was seeing this in the future. So years later, whenever they actually did go into captivity, they were reading about the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah said, because of your sins, you will end up in captivity. But then he said something really interesting. He said, but there will come a time within 70 years when God will send a king from the north who will come and bring deliverance to God's people, to the Hebrew people. Now, I'm sure that some of those people were thinking, man, there is no way this can be true. How in the world can I trust that what Isaiah says is true or that what he wrote a hundred years before is actually going to happen? And for us today, how can we trust and believe that God's word is something that is true? How, how, can we, how can we believe that? Well, I think it's like anything else. I think that if you want to know the veracity of something or the truthfulness of something, well, then you put it to the test. You take a look. If you, you, know, if you go and buy a car, what, what, what do you do? Well, you, look, you don't just look at the car and go, I'll take it. You look at the car, and then you want to look at the records to see how it's performed, right? I mean, just in general. Say, hey, I'm going to do my car facts on this thing. I'm going I'm to look at the records. Have they taken care of the car? How does it run? And you look at past performance, and when you look at past performance, then oftentimes it is a great indicator of what future performance is going to be. Okay, do the same thing with God. Put his record to the test. Let's put his record to the test. Book of Isaiah, written 2,700 years ago. Well, in the book of Isaiah, and you can read it for yourself, what did Isaiah say? Isaiah said God's people are going to be taken into captivity. That you've been sinful You've defied God. You've trusted in yourself over anything else. You will be taken into captivity. Okay, so here's a simple question. Did it happen? Did what he say, did it happen? Was it true? Absolutely. What happened? Not long afterwards, there was a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. Y'all know the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar came in and he raised the temple, destroyed it, took the people in Jerusalem, the best in Jerusalem, and he took them into captivity. So did it happen? It happened. What else did Isaiah say? Isaiah said, now God is going to judge you, but there's going to come a time, and then even Jeremiah said, in 70 years, you'll be in captivity, and God will bring you freedom. As a matter of fact, they, even, they got specific. They said, a guy named Cyrus, a guy named Cyrus will come, and he will be king, a king from the north, and he'll give you freedom. Okay, so here's the question. Did that happen? You can look in history. Isaiah wrote this book 2,700 years ago, about 2,600 years ago. So 100 years later, there was a guy named Cyrus who became king of Persia. What did he do? Well, let me read to you from Ezra chapter 1. This is what, this is what Cyrus said. He said, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He's appointed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem and Judah. Any one of his people among you, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem. Did it happen? Yeah, it happened. And it was tremendously specific. So what does that mean? All right, so here's the lesson. Isaiah is trying to teach, that Ezra is able to teach. When God makes a promise, you know what God does? 
He keeps it. Whenever God says something, it happens. Now you might say, well, you might be a skeptic. That happened 3,000 years ago. I mean, that was lucky. How can I believe that what God says is still true? Well, I want you to look with me in verse number 8. If you look at the end of verse number 8, it says, But the word of our God remains forever. How long is forever, do you think? Forever. God's word is true, the Bible says, for all time. So here's my encouragement for you. Even when there are things happening in your life you don't understand, even whenever there are things that are happening in your life that aren't fair, and then you read in Scripture that God says that he will take care of his people, whenever you read and it says that Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and you feel alone and you feel forsaken, here's the challenge for you and for me. Believe God's word. Believe in the character of God. Look at his past record. And in his past record, what you see is that God is always faithful. He always keeps his word. In Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. I'll try to give you an example. In 1873, there was a man, I've shared about this man before, but in 1873, there was a man named Horatio Spafford. He was a Christian lawyer from Chicago. He had his wife and his four daughters take a luxury liner from New York to go to France. He couldn't go with them because he had work, and so he was going to meet them about three to four weeks later. So he put them on the ship, and they began to travel across. As he was back at his home, he ended up receiving a telegram from his wife. There had been a shipwreck. Two ships collided in the night in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. It was so bad that within 30 minutes, Spafford's wife and family were on board a ship that sank within 30 minutes. The telegram he received from his wife was two words long, and it said, Saved alone. His four daughters had died in those waters. Spafford, as a Christian man, as you can imagine, was devastated. And I'm sure there were questions that were racing through his mind. Why? Where was God? Why would he allow that to happen? Why should I have faith in a God who would let something like that happen? He went over, ceased to meet his wife. He got on a ship. As they were traveling across, the captain came to him and said, I want you to know this is the spot, this is the place in the ocean where your daughters died. And he walked out, he looked over, he's moved with emotion, and he began to pray, asking for understanding, asking for wisdom, brokenhearted. And God spoke to him as he went back into his room, and he sat down and he pulled out a pen and paper and he wrote what has become one of the most well-known hymns that we sing today. And as he was in that ocean, he began to write. He wrote, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, 
it is well with my soul. Now, how in the world could a guy write something like that? When he's lost his daughters, he's lost, he's lost hope. Well, it came down to this. He made a decision. I will trust and believe that when God says something, it is true. When I examine his past record, I see there is not an instance where we see that my God has lied. And I will trust that he will continue to be the same tomorrow. I will trust that Philippians 4-7 is true where it says, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now where can we place our trust? There are many who will say, you know, you can't place in this book, it's outdated. And I I ask them, where do you place your trust? I place it in man. I place it in the wisdom of man. Let me tell you something. I've seen the wisdom of man. It ain't very wise. It's not lasting. What I see in the wisdom of man is I see destruction. I see a loss of hope. I see perversion. I don't see anything worth trusting in. So where where can we place our trust? Isaiah knew this. Isaiah said you can place it in the strength of man. You can place it in the in the intellect of man, the ideas of man. He said, or you can place it in the words of God. And there's only one place that has eternal value. God's word. God's word stands the test of time. 2,000 years after Jesus Christ, we are still here today worshiping a risen Savior. And that's why today we are going to take the Lord's Supper. We're taking the Lord's Supper because it is a statement of faith for those of us who are believers as we take that bread, you know, whenever, whenever you take the bread, in a moment, I'm going to have y'all, ask y'all, if you would, if you're a believer, to walk to one of the tables. We have two here and two back here. Whenever you pick up the bread, remember the words of Jesus. Jesus said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so as you eat that bread, you remember Jesus gave his body for you. When you drink the juice, remember the words of Jesus. He said, this is my blood, which has been shed for you. Why did Jesus shed his blood? Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So as you drink the juice, you remember there is a price paid for you. Jesus gave his life for you and for me. And why did he do it? Because whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. As you take the Lord's Supper today, let me tell you something. You are standing on the promises of God's Word. You believe in Him. You follow Him. You will live forever. And that is something to hope in. That is something to trust. 